What's happening? Sell anywhere, lead anywhere, people. Those of you who are the generation of journeyers, the people who know that your zip, your talent is not limited to your zip code. You know we can do this thing from anywhere. If anything is proven, it COVID has proven it. And some of you guys were doing this long before this uh, this little pandemic came along. And this is the podcast to equip you and help you to do that job better. And uh, better doesn't mean more, better just means, right? It can mean whatever you want it to mean. And I have found someone, surprise, on LinkedIn, that uh, is going to bless your socks off in the world of sales, in the world of leadership. And um, we're just, I'm just gonna jump into, I'm gonna introduce you to the one and only I almost want to sing it to the tune of Shaka Khan, but I know it's it's it would be so wrong. <laughs> but welcome to the show. Look her up, connect with her on LinkedIn and wherever else you can find her. Sarah Khan. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you so much for having me. That was like a glowing introduction. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> so before we before we get into what you do. Mm-hmm. This is the Anywhere podcast, right? We're selling, leading, doing stuff, living lives of purpose from anywhere. I want to know from you, like, what are the things, like, well, what's your Anywhere first? What's where are you my, at? Where mm-hmm. am I? I am mm-hmm. in Halifax, Nova Scotia on the East Coast of Canada. Listen to that. Mm-hmm. Love it. And um, before we get into what you do, I need to know, what do you love? What's going what on right I now love? that you love? Yeah. Um, well, if I have to talk about some personal stuff, I love food. I love food of every kind. And I am on like this funny journey to make sure that people know that curry is not made out of curry powder. My background is East Indian and everybody I've met, not everybody, but so many people I've met actually think that curry is made from curry powder. So that's like my own little personal mission that like really makes me happy. I love food. (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> love it. And well, that kind of connects us to, I always feel like if you watch, uh, I'm kind of a little bit of a nerd. You can see like on the microphone, you can see a uh, little Spider-Man hanging there. You know, I, oh I, gosh, awesome. I love the idea of heroes out there and you're absolutely a hero, but every hero comes with an origin story mm-hmm. and yours is a little bit different. Can you share with us, uh, you know, what, what's brought you to where you're at and, and, uh, and a little bit of where you're at? For sure. So my parents are from Bangladesh, which is one of the poorest countries in the world. They immigrated to Canada. Um, My father was a student and I was born and raised in Canada. When we were, when I was very small, we moved to the smallest province in Canada, Prince Edward Island, a small state, as you would know it there. And when I lived there, there was, there was no multiculturalism. And as an East Indian family, we were just one of a few East Indian families. And what I realized is that I did not fit in anywhere. So I started to make a lot of adaptations in my life to be able to fit in with the North American culture. Mm. At the same time, those same adaptations made me be shunned from the East Indian community. So there was so much of a part of my life that I felt that I didn't fit in. And I never realized until much, much later that I always belonged. I always belonged at that table. 
even though it took me years to get to that point, but it was, Mm. those were the formative years. And as a result, when through the culture, you learn to be very quiet about what happens at home. And that was one of the things that I realized is that you cannot show this vulnerability of what's happening in your home because vulnerability is considered weakness. And coming from a country that is under development. You don't want to associate with weakness. You only ever want to associate with some sort of strength. So I also then always thought that having this vulnerability would be something that it would be considered as weakness and was very quiet about it as it related, especially to mental health and my mental health. Mm. And so Years later, I, um, got, I was, I was in marketing and communications and event planning. I went from the corporate world or from nonprofit into corporate into doing my own consulting and realizing that I had tied up a lot of my worth into the value, like the actual dollar amounts of my contracts and needed to take a step away from it and deviated almost entirely as I uh, started an online health and wellness business within the industry of network marketing and realizing that there is a couple of aspects of that, the direct sales, the network marketing piece, but the other aspect being personal growth and development, the stuff that nobody sees. And up until this point, I actually always thought it was voodoo. I didn't actually believe in personal development. I didn't understand. <laughs> I didn't. It was like, it was I'm like not cult. alone. No, it was like cult behavior to me. I just didn't understand how people could be jumping around on the stage and everybody all of a sudden feels like they're more motivated. I understand like, you know, the neurology about it now, but like at the time it just seemed like voodoo. And it wasn't until um, I had listened to a particular TED Talks by Brené Brown on the power of vulnerability and the concept that I am enough that I actually had a catalyst to say, oh my gosh, like I am enough and Mm. there's strength in this vulnerability. It's not a weakness. And it shifted my perspective on everything and everyone. And I became very open about talking about mental health. And when I started to do that, what happened were a couple of things. First of all, people started to reach out to me that knew me saying, I had no idea that you had these mental health challenges because I don't quote unquote, look the part of someone who has depression because everybody has the face of mental health, but you just don't know that. Right. And the other thing that I, that started to happen are people started to contact me about reading my, like my blog. Cause that's how it started off as the depressed mom boss blog and saying, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your journey. I don't feel so alone anymore. And I thought that was actually really hard because of the fact that I started to almost relive the narratives because I couldn't help them. But what that made me realize is that people really have so much that they can learn from other people's personal stories. And what that means is that not only can you get knowledge and information, but you can also find solace. But ultimately that also gives you permission to feel how you are feeling at that moment and start to use that as a stepping stone. Mm. And now that's everything that I do. I love gathering people's stories. I want to hear them. And what I really want to make sure that I can leave behind in this world is to gather people who are very purpose-driven 
to come together, to be able to share their narratives, to share their stories so that other people have that to come from, especially because it doesn't always have to come from education in the formal sense. It, for me, it actually happens a lot more organically, like holistically, just from, you know, almost through the process of osmosis, get, like which you end up pulling in from other people's information, knowledge, and stories. So you are a gatherer of purpose-driven people. Mm-hmm. You are a coach for coaches. You're a leader to leaders. You run also your a uh, couple couple of businesses, as it mm-hmm. as it sounds like. Uh, you do a lot of things, but I want to I want to um, want to maybe zoom in a little bit on what you do with leaders. And and you you mentioned the big V word. <laughs> right. Uh, vulnerability and vulnerability equaling weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, like here in the States, our leadership culture is definitely more prone towards that. Now, we've seen, I think, uh, a large movement, I think, uh, towards things like transparency. Uh, yes. I think a lot of people uh, are trying to be vulnerable, but uh, there, there is there is I think. Sometimes we're doing it wrong. There's there's a yes. lot of time that's still happening that's still tangled up there. But right. take me into so you're working with leaders. Like what what are you seeing out there, Sarah? Where where leaders can really help, uh, or how how can we be more vulnerable? And um, I'm I'm not just tying it to the to the end result, but the end results are there. Like why vulnerability for leaders? Maybe in in, in share some of that. Well, I mean, there's a couple of aspects of this. First of all, when you consider the amount of leaders, and I talk also a lot about inclusion and diversity, uh, a lot of them are white male. And the concept that the white male can never show any type of vulnerability is something that is like ingrained in such a habit that like, first of all, it's really hard to cut through that. But once you can get to the core of it, once you actually get to end the intention behind it, the intention behind being vulnerable, not to try to sway people, but because that's how you show up authentically, that's where you see people who don't are no longer just your, um, your like employees, they become part of your team. And when you start to show by leading by example that the vulnerability is okay and it's safe to be able to do that, and then you get to see in everybody's individual kind of way what they are able to offer and bring that can be so, so like sh- just covered because they don't want to show that that is like something so, that they could do. So what do you see happens where someone transforms into becoming this like in a in an organization? So what happens when a leader actually becomes vulnerable? Well, I mean, overall, I feel... It, it, for me, it comes down mostly to the aspect of communication. So when I start to like look at this leadership as a whole and the system as to what I um, go in with, the core of it all comes back down to listening. But the listening is not just because of the listening. It's because of now how the communication is happening. People are so much more um, aware of what is being said as opposed to like closing it off. So I spend a lot of time focusing on not the idea of active listening, but of empathetic listening, because there is a difference, um, especially where people a lot of the times think that they know what active listening is, 
and a lot of leaders do as well. Like they almost pride themselves as being really good listeners. But then when you start to kind of break it down and go through it, they're not listening. And when people, other people feel heard, when they genuinely feel heard, then it's like they want to move mountains for the people that hear them. And that's where you see the shift. It becomes a lot more of an ownership um, into like what people are able to do to contribute, like, because they know that it'll actually be valued because they've been heard. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in, 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 by the way, disengagement in the workforce, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's at an all time high, but, uh, yes. research shows that 70% of people mm-hmm. are disengaged, right? So that yeah. we're like, if you're, if you consider yourself a leader, mm-hmm. <laughs> The reality is, is that you are not getting uh, expendable effort and energy from your people. Mm-hmm. They're doing what they have to do. Exactly. And 70% of them are disengaged. Yes. Why? Like, in, 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 I'm, I'm hearing maybe some, some answers here from you, but like, why do you think that is? Well, now there's a shift in the culture. I think that whatever used to work before within the organization no longer can. And before, especially let's just say like talking about mental health specifically is people always have those problems, but they can never talk about it. And now because of what's happened in the world overall, we now know that organizations can't sweep the discussion of things like mental health under the rug. They need to be able to address it, but we have this information and we don't know what to do with it. But now people are aware that like, you know, that this is happening you have this information, but you're still sitting there trying to treat me in the exact same way that you always have, or throwing dollars at me for more salary and all this sort of thing. It doesn't have the same effect. We are now seeing people completely like leave organizations and to go for a lot less money because of the fact that that is not enough anymore to be able to keep people there. And it's that it's the idea that we now know that we have to have those conversations um, but they're still not happening because we don't know what to do. Yeah. With them, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You listen, leaders out there, like it's, it, everything used to be a, a compensation and a pension equation. Right. Mm-hmm. And there are just so many more options out there mm-hmm. that if you're, if you're not aware of, I, I feel like this is like the purpose generation. Right. Yeah. And, uh, if you're, if you really want to engage someone engage in what they're doing, engage in their purpose, engage in where they're going for. And some of them, it's just like, I want to not be depressed or I want to be some of them. Like there are so many different flavors Mm -hmm. of what people are wanting. But if you're a leader and you don't know what that is, no, um, you're, you're missing the boat. You, you, I want to, like, I'm not, there's something so valuable here with this, uh, with this vulnerability thing, Mm -hmm. because I feel like Sarah, that, it's almost like um, it's almost like a leader wants to show up as Superman, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and again, I'm going back to my comic book nerdery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the least interesting of all the superheroes <laughs> because he's invulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the case with leaders, right? When you when you when you oh, I'm so perfect and I don't like it's like when you're that, mm-hmm. nobody connects with you. No. Can can you um? Can you maybe take us into a case of vulnerability gone awry and wrong? So like, like it's almost like sometimes like the, the shift of this perfect, well, I guess like the person who's presented them, oh, this is the, 
the shirt getting or the the suit getting ripped off. Okay. But it's, just so you know, and hand motion <laughs> here is, but it's like, um, how do you take someone from that to someone who's being like real vulnerable, not like vulnerable like we see in Instagram or Facebook, because there's a fake vulnerable too. There is, yes. How do you transform uh, transform a leader from from fake Superman mm-hmm. uh, to to real, just real, true, authentic, vulnerable leader? Well, you have to come back to the intention as to why they're being vulnerable. So I was working with somebody who is such a nice guy, and he was trying to be like the strong boss for his team and realized it wasn't working. So what he ended up doing was this huge shift is he just started to like have a meltdown all the time about all the things that were happening. And then what ended up happening for him was that his staff started to take advantage of that. And there were things that started to happen. So I feel like there is a real fear for people for once they let go and they show that vulnerability that that now is going to be used against them in some sort of way. But it was, but it was the intention. It was how the reason why he started to do it. It was not because he was just trying to show up authentically. It was because he was trying to show that he was a real person that had real problems. And that is absolutely part of the process. But if you, take that with the intention that I'm just going to show this so that you know that I'm like this and then you're going to like get along with me and we're going to be so relatable together. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So we really have to kind of take it down to the intention first as to why you think that vulnerability would make a difference within this is, your, this leadership. is important. Most people, most of the people you're dealing with at this level, they want do this and you get that. Mm-hmm. But you're, you start with intention. So give me like, how do you drill into the intention then? How do you help them to discover that? Uh, it, it, I usually, so through the process, we usually talk about the feelings. And I know this for a lot of people is like a foo-foo sort of thing when we talk about feelings. But I look at it from the point of like legacy. Like if you were to leave your legacy behind, what would you want people to say? Dr. Tim Sharp is the happy doctor or something. And he talks about in his Habits of Happiness that you don't, what would happen if you wrote your own eulogy? What would be in your eulogy? And although it sounds really morbid, you need to almost start with that exit and then work backwards. So you get to the intention when you know where it is, what you want to be left behind. And yes, people want to be known and like, well, liked and respected and that sort of thing. But when you get down to the core of what that means as it relates to an organization, what do you want the legacy of the organization to be? Like, what do you want to be able to leave behind so it continues to grow? And that comes down to when we always talk about the no like, and trust factor, for me, it's not about the no like, and trust. It's about the no like, trust, and remember. And how people remember is through the feelings and how you make them feel, right? So that's how it has to start. It has to start. Say from that the end. again. I feel like, I feel like the, the lines and say Mufasa. Say it again. Like, don't like say <laughs> no like, trust, and what? Remember. Okay. No like, trust, and remember. And the remembering comes from the feeling. Because people will not always remember what you do or what you say, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And as an organization, you have to think about how your organization makes other people feel and then work backwards from that because that's your legacy. Love it. I love it. I love it. So, um, so what do you, what do you think, 
um, in, in terms of this. So there, there's the, there's the, well, kind of what I'd like, uh, there's something in me that just wants to go deeper into this vulnerability thing, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to turn the page here. The, um, well, how, well, let me ask you this, like you okay. actually, so looking at your personal story and you did the mm -hmm. depressed mom, depressed mom boss, is that what it was? Yeah. Depressed yep. mom boss. So that, so a depressed mom boss, uh, not mm -hmm. blogging, you were, you were real vulnerable. Like you mm -hmm. were, you were, um, what, like did, what did that show you? Like other than like people are coming to you, you mm -hmm. may have been posting stuff before and maybe they were paying attention. Maybe they weren't. But mm -hmm. suddenly you're being real mm -hmm. and reflect, reflect that a little bit for us. Cause I think that, I think a lot of us, especially so in my world, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a coach, the salespeople who listen to this, they, they present things um, on social media, uh, mm -hmm. you know, leaders do this as well. And, and again, I think like I've seen like really, I, again, maybe even from the vulnerability side where it just mm -hmm. happens like, um, it's just, it feels like an attention plea right. rather than something that's like, that adds value to anyone. So how did, what did, what did you find about that in the process? Well, I think the, there's a couple of things to it. And this is the reason why I think you see and how we can talk about that kind of fake vulnerability as we see it on social media versus what is actually legitimate. It's about what you want as the outcome from sharing that information. And I was completely detached from the outcome. It mm. was about me taking my truth and which were my own journal entries, may I, like may I mention, because that was what I did and taking it in a way that would other people can understand what I was saying, first of all, because me writing for me as my journal is not the same as me writing in a blog. But the idea was that I wasn't writing so I could do something. I was writing because, first of all, I found it a little bit cathartic, but I was doing it because of the fact that I should, because I had been never, like I'd never honored that aspect of myself. And because of that, I felt that that was what was holding me back. I was not accepting who I was as a total person. And that total person, that to bit of that total person of Sarah was her mental health. For the longest time, I thought that if people knew that I had mental health challenges, that, um, that they would have this judgment about me. But what I realized, and when I started this blog and actually sharing this information was that my mental health was always going to be a part of me, but it didn't define me. And so when I started to share this journey, it was just doing it because it was important to do to honor who I was as a whole person. But I did not have an, an intention or an outcome re relative to sharing that information. It had to just come because that was my truth. And I, that, and again, we go back to the intention, but a lot of people who share these sort of vulnerable stories and what's happening, they do it with an intention and with an outcome in mind and from mm -hmm. a very like marketing standpoint, almost, whereas I wasn't doing anything for marketing and this wasn't for my personal brand or anything like that. It was because I was honoring who I was. And I feel like if people can start to just come from that place that you just need to show up as who you really are, then it almost makes it easier because you're, you won't be, it's not that you'll be disappointed, but you're not, you don't have that expectation of anything other than being as true to yourself as you can be. 
And so I guess I'm not sure if that entirely answers your question, but that's kind so, of like what I learned through writing my own blog of what was happening with me. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, like I, <clears throat> I, I really believe that where where we are best at, where, where we actually have something to offer the world is, is right in that space mm-hmm. of what you just, what you just mentioned. I, I love the, um, just even the mind that we, that we can, we can function from our, our true self, mm-hmm. right. Uh, from our own gifts and talents, we can literally just show up. And then what happens is, is that if, if, if you're real and you're being real, Mm-hmm. That usually what happens is um, the, that's where you serve the world, mm-hmm. yeah. not in trying to be like with the with with the whatever the just the stuff that's around you to 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 build you up in comparison to others, titles, um, mm-hmm. you know, w- like all of the things that we can do to dress certain things up. But it's 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 the truth from the core of of, of just like you're there. Mm-hmm. Did you like what, like, how did that, does that still fuel what you do? Uh, what, what, what was the, like, what was a personal benefit that you, um, other than like you were able to work through something, Mm -hmm. um, what was, what, what personal benefits, like, has it had any professional personal gain type stuff? So first of all, it's not something that I did benefit from. It's something that I actively have to do on a daily basis. It's not, it's not something that has stopped and I can't ever stop. I don't think because not that I don't think I don't want to stop. I feel like if I don't continue to do that actively, that I could allow myself to go backwards where those other things are important to other people, such as in comparison and titles and and that sort of thing. I need to, on a daily basis, honor who I am. So the biggest thing for me is when I start to talk to people, especially when it's in a more of a one-on-one kind of process, it's about figuring out where they are at this moment and what is that vulnerability that they actually do have and kind of peeling back the layers until you can figure out what that is. Um, before they can move forward. You can't, people so often just think that once you have that information, you can just change and you can't, it's a lifelong, like it's a process, it's organic, it has to evolve. And if you don't honor where you are, you are at that moment, then you have no stepping stone to be able to move forward. You're always just going to bounce back. It's always going to go back. So it's like, you always need to be authentically who you are at that moment. So there is a constant revisiting to make sure that I am honoring myself. And the fact that I celebrate the things that I do do well, um, which is another really hard thing for people uh, to do, when, especially when we get stuck in our own heads. And when we are having an entire organization that's relying on us making decisions, like it's hard not to get stuck on the negativity, but you need to like actually focus a lot more on celebrating the small stuff. For me, some days the small stuff can be as something as simple as I got out of bed and washed my face, which is those are the really hard days, but it still needs to be celebrated. So, Mm. um, it's just, yeah, it's not something that did help me personally and professionally. It's something that constantly does as I walk and breathe every single day and every Mm -hmm. single moment, because it's the now it's the right now moment, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the, like living in the past, which is really was one of the things that I was doing. And thinking so much about what mistakes had been made as opposed to 
how those things, just like my depression was a part of me, but it didn't define me. So, yeah, no, I, I love, I love how you said that. I feel like that, um, by the way, like our industry almost mm-hmm. predicates on the opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that you said I uh, honoring myself, mm-hmm. um, honoring who I am. And I, and for a lot of the people listening to this, like I'm, I'm going to tell you and, and you know this, and maybe I'm just sharing this for them. It's like, they're addicted to the idea that you've got to become someone else. You've yeah. got to become better there. You mm-hmm. got to be more. There's this, there's this even, I don't even, what it was more even mean, right? It's like, we have all of these, um, these traps and hamster wheels that have been built in just from, mm-hmm. from where we're at and just being able to, to stop and say, no, 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 no. I'm honoring who I am. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have you, I'm sure you've worked with, like, I have like just leaders who wake up and they're, um, they wake up, they pick this thing up right here. Mm-hmm. They're in text mode. They're in email. They're solving problems. They're, they're doing something and they haven't even existed for themselves yet. Yes. I mean, there are so many people who are in the personal development arena that all will be consistent in terms of their recommendation to not pick up that phone. We do like as a culture, like Western culture, we've decided that the concept of the hustle and always being on is something that we need to constantly do. And we haven't realized that if we don't stop that it's not, it's never going to be sustainable. We can't live like that. And that's why we'll never be satisfied with what's happening right now because we're living for that hustle. It, I don't know when it became something that was so celebrated, but it being busy and living the hustle is like really celebrated when it's like, no. And I know that this is something that you focus on so much. It's about like, what is the quality of your life? You know, it's not about the more it's about what do you do with what you are doing? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. and I know so much of what you do is focusing on that, like making an impact within that time without having to constantly keep going and going and going and, and never stopping. It's just, it isn't sustainable. It's not, it's not normal. It's we've made it very common, but it doesn't mean that's normal. Uh, It's interesting because I've, I've, um, I've been looking at this just as like a, a mythology. I, I believe like it's a it's a type of American mythology, a religion, really. That's almost like it gets in unquestioned into the the brains of our children, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I heard uh, something today. There's a, a book I'm listening to. It is uh, effort. Well, effortless is the by Greg McKeon. Okay. And um, anyway, one of the one of the things that he uh, he credits for this is Puritanism. And okay. so, uh, with, with the Puritans, their whole thing was like finding value in hard work. Mm-hmm. And if something is easy, mm-hmm. distrust, like there's an, there's an automatic distrust. And so culturally it's right. interesting, like how, right. Sometimes these, these keystone ideas find mm-hmm. their way down. Um, and, and we don't even, we haven't stopped to look and, and question those. And so I, I love the, I love the idea of the grind and the hustle and uh, the, the way that you presented it. And, and I'm not anti-hustle, but it's just, yeah. that's not the answer. It's a, it can be a way to get to where we're going. 
Oh yeah. No, the only time I use the word hustle, if I can help it is if my son is playing a sport and he's like going really, really slow and I'll be like, okay, hustle. I actually <laughs> just had did a talk about like the definitions of a hustle being a noun and a verb and being transitive and intransitive and like what that actually implies. And the hustle is, is, is associated with like an aggressiveness. If you really look at whatever dictionary you're looking at, if it's Merriam Webster or Collins or Oxford, there is like an aggression that's relative to the word hustle as a verb. And like, I don't want to live aggressively. <laughs> like, so I don't have that in my vocabulary unless I'm trying to move my son to like pick up the speed because he's in the middle of the game and he's got to keep going. So because he wants to, it's not just because I'm trying to make him, but that's I love the only it. time I use that word. Like, I, I don't like it. The switch, right? There, there should be a switch to this thing. It's not like, um, so hustle, like the way that you just have you mentioned it, I'm thinking like the way that that can help us is like if you're trying to escape a lion or you're trying to hunt something, like it's like mm -hmm. there's a time where you have to focus and do that. But it is a minority of, mm -hmm. of your of your existence. You shouldn't always just live that way. Mm -mm. You, like it's a, like the, then there's there's no joy. And, and I'm sure you probably work with a lot of people with busted switches, too, where they're hustling all day mm -hmm. and they don't know how to like turn, turn it off. off. It's an addiction, actually. It's, there's an illness that's associated with this and they don't realize that they're just like, this is an actual addiction. The fear of stopping is actually what is part of the addiction. Like that's the pain. If you stop, then like you have to actually deal with your stuff and you don't want to. Um, so that's part of it. Hustle and the word busy. I really just like the word busy as it relates to not the word itself necessarily, but the context of how it's used. Like Donnie, how are you? Oh, I'm busy. Oh, busy. I'm like, why is that a good thing? Like, why are we celebrating like that as if that's a really good thing? Now, my husband is a marine biologist and he works in the engineering field. And one of the things that he told me when I had this conversation with I somehow lost you. There we are. Okay, good. I was, I, yeah, I have no idea what I just happened. I have no idea what just happened either. Anyway, so my husband who works in the engineering we, uh, field in consulting, um, one of the things he said is that um, from engineering firm to engineering firm, if you're not busy, they think that your company is failing. And so when they ask the question, like, how are you doing? It's like, oh, I'm busy. That's why that's celebrated because of the fact that you have work. And, um, I, 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 I see it and I understand it and I still don't agree with it, but they've made it like what they are doing to say, like, we're busy and work is good. Uh, and for me, I'm like, well, why can't you just say that? Like, we've been getting great work. We've been having good clients. We've been enjoying what it is. There's been exciting new projects. Like for me, there's that. And then on the other side of that, when I said that to him, he kind of was like, well, you don't want to tell them specifically what it is that you're doing because you're your competition. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it just like blows my mind. So I really dislike <laughs> the word busy when people say, how are you? And maybe the question is not the right question. Maybe we shouldn't be asking people how they are. Maybe it should be more like, you know, did you have a good weekend? Like as opposed and to, so that you can't say, oh, I was busy. Well, I mean, maybe you still could, but the chances are you're not going to yeah, my weekend was good. You're forcing somebody to say like something other than, oh, I'm so busy. Busy should not be the neutral word it has become. You don't have to admit that you're doing good. You don't have to admit that you're doing bad, but you have this neutral emotion, which is not an emotion at all in the word busy. And I just like it, but it also is like part of that sickness. We always think that we need to be busy. If we're not busy, then there's all something right. wrong, right? I, yeah, I like it. I think that this teases up. There's, there's, I'm looking at a Y in the road and there's two directions that we're going to take. <laughs> and I'm going to, um, 
How about this? Maybe I'll give you a real, like just a real quick setup on the one. Like, um, you, um, like myself, don't believe that sales is a dirty word. No. Uh, it's a good thing, right? We can serve people that way. I want to hear your, um, the way that you wear that and help, um, others who are in that. Maybe even like to, to, um, to have a good identity, mm-hmm. right? Where they can enter in and do good. Um, and then even the ones like, ooh, the dirtiest of dirty of salespeople, mm-hmm. which they're not. People in a multi-level marketing, direct, uh, direct marketing type of a scenario, mm-hmm. which to me are, 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 um, <laughs> There's, these are these are these are business owners, entrepreneurs, and people who are who are entering into something. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the, these are these are good things, but we we but 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 they're perceived of as nasty and ugly. Mm-hmm. Can you um, can you talk to that one just a little? I'm not asking you to deliver the whole world, but because <laughs> I, I really a a, a, a di- you know, like a, a direct U-turn from where we were going. Mm-hmm. But no, not really. You and I believe in this thing. I just want yeah. to hear. I just would love people to hear your input. Okay, so from the sales perspective, why it's not a dirty word? I so first of all, I think I need to just go backwards just a little bit because from the East Indian culture, it when you are in sales and when you work in retail. The idea is that you are hustling people in the verb of the word swindling and because things like bargaining are constantly happening. And that idea of swindling somebody into purchasing something uh, for an exchange of money, like that you don't know if that's the actual value, then that's where like from a cultural standpoint, from East Indian culture, why sales is considered so negative. But when we, when we train, take that back here, like, and we look at the Western civilization, it's the same kind of association and it's how we see value. It's what we see value as and where we are constantly in this frame of mind that we need to keep costs low and we like need to make these profits and how do I know that that product or that service is the value that it's worth and stuff. I don't want to spend that money. It's, it, it comes down to not the sales, but like to that idea of value. So it's like the word sales though, kind of encompasses all of that for so many people. And um, it's hard to kind of move people away from the fact that um, it doesn't, it, that's not actually what the problem is. It's like, you just don't know if you see the value. So like, it's not sales is a dirty word at all. It's just how people have, how, how they've kind of like packaged it together, I guess. It's kind of my perspective I, on it. I've never thought about that being a snowball, kind of like what we were talking about with the hustle thing. Like mm-hmm. this is that we're talking about uh, generations of formation of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, got it. Got it. All right. Talk to me about MLMs. Uh, people who are who are doing direct marketing can actually don't even talk to me. Talk to these people, mm-hmm. build them up, help them to see the value of what they're doing. What would you say if you could uh, open up their heads right now and and help them to get out of their own way? For the network marketers. So I just want to address something, first of all, is there is a reason why the industry of network marketing and multi-level marketing has a bad reputation. Historically, there were things that happened that were harming people in such a way that it was an actual scheme. There were problems. It was distributors pushing onto distributors, pushing onto distributors, and product and things were never making it to the end consumer. And so what would happen is that people would end up with garage full of products that they couldn't offload to the next distributor and end up going bankrupt. 
So there is historically like a reason why network marketing has this bad reputation. And I think that it's important to know that and to like, to be aware of why that happened and to then educate a little bit more to know what has happened since. So in North America, for instance, we have the direct sellers association. Like there are now these bodies to ensure that we do not have those sort of things happen again. And that's like the first part of it is that there has to be a standard. And now there is a standard and there are a code of ethics as it relates to every single business, every single different company. And that is then also um, looked at through the direct sellers association. So first of all, like know where the history came from, know why it is. Um, and don't be defensive about it because it's not your fault. And the problem is that a lot of people feel that they have again been convinced into something and if they were smarter, they wouldn't have done that because of what happened historically. Mm-hmm. And that isn't the case. The industry itself, the, the principle of network marketing is brilliant. And do you know what? We are all doing it anyways. If you really like come down to the, to like the facts when we're talking about referrals and recommendations, like this is the same idea of a referral or recommendation. The difference is, is that you are recommending something that you have and you can also make money from, but it can't come from the place. Again, it goes back to intention. It can't go from the place of like, this is what benefits me. So, um, so that's why like, um, you should buy this. It's about this particular thing benefits you. And if you want to buy it, I have that for you. And if you don't, then that is okay too. And that's part of detaching from the outcome. So what my biggest thing is, is that to make sure that people are aligned with something that actually is something that they would use themselves, like from an honest place and it matches their values. Like there are certain organizations that I don't like necessarily how their compensation plan is put together and things like that. So that took some research. But at the end of the day, when I decided to concentrate on the products that I have, it's because they match my values. Like the products that I have are B Corp certification. And for people who don't know what that means, it means that there is a third party certification that is a huge application process. It's really hard for people to get that certification, but you need to be, you need to prove that you balance people, planet and profits. And for somebody like myself, who is extremely concerned about my social and economic and environmental impact, having something like a B Corp certification matches me because of the fact that say, um, ingredients are sourced fair trade, which is important. My family came from Bangladesh. Like we came from a country of like sweatshops and people think that you need to take people like the sweatshops out. And I'm like, no, you can't take the sweatshops out. You need to have organizations come in and play, pay these people equitably and fair trade. So you know that about me, like, you know, that that is what it is. Then it makes so much sense. Then the products are, are just the products. And when you start to build a team of people, then you're not buying, like they're not buying into, well, I mean, they could be starting off because of the fact that it can be very lucrative, but what you want to do is like to build a team of people who have something like that they value about what it is that they're doing and who they're able to help with that. And this is always going to come back to like, even with the basics of sales, it's not about like selling somebody. It's about serving somebody. It's being of service to somebody and being able to help that person. 
So you need to do that in whatever industry that you are in as it relates to sales. But network marketing, if you want to like see the industry improve, then you have to make sure that your intention is there as well. And don't hide. You don't have to like be blurting it out of the, you know, like off the top of the building. But my goodness, like if you start to try to hide it, then you're still, you know, talking about the fact that you're humiliated by the fact that you're doing it. And how does that improve the industry at all? So it's like, you need to kind of come out of the shadows, but do it in a way that is, um, that honors yourself and your own values. Make sure that that's how you are aligned, um, with it. Then the rest of it, like if you, depending on how you feel about the universe or not, the rest of it just aligns for you. Like it all comes together because you're again, living like your truth, like with having that as part of your truth. And it is part of your truth. It is one aspect of what I do, do is one part of my health and wellness, but that is just one part of it. Like one cornerstone of so many other things that I know that I can contribute back to the world, but it's always about giving back. It's always about what you can do to serve others and leave them off better off than before you saw them and met them and found them. That is so well put. I I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better myself. And I, it's so, it's interesting. I love how you tied it to the idea of honoring yourself. This, this is what we're doing is we honor ourselves. We do what we believe. Mm-hmm. We do it without, like some people are fit, some people aren't. Mm-hmm. That's okay. We're not tied to them saying yes or no. Like our value is not tied to them saying yes or no to us. No. It's us being able to say yes to ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the place where it starts. I, I love I love that. Well, there's so many more things that we could talk about, but we are we, we are about to um, we're pulling into home. Okay, right? we're about to pull the keys out. We're we're gonna gonna lock up, and we're and we're 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 going to to move on for next time. There's so many more things I'd love to talk about with active listening mm-hmm. and just some other things you've helped with bossy bosses do, and maybe we'll just save that for another conversation. Mm-hmm down the road, but you have so much more to say. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you, Sarah? How can they get a hold of you? How can they, like something that you've said has resonated with them, how can they connect with you? The best way to get a hold of me is going to be through LinkedIn. Um, I have all of my other platforms kind of like linked to my LinkedIn. So if you need to find out about certain aspects of what I do, then you can still get that as the hub. Um, and for me, I honestly, like I, I'm all about the connection. So have the connection and have a conversation for me if you can just have the conversation then you kind of know where you want to go from there and if um, there's something that i can do to help you or or anything it's just like you know talk about it like let's let's just talk and do that through my linkedin cool yeah love it Mm -hmm. find her connect with her listen to the message. I wouldn't have had her on here (laughs) if she wasn't a contributor to the Purpose Collective. So thanks so much for joining us, Sarah. And uh, for the rest of you who are out there, listen, you're not limited by by someone else's definition of you. You're not limited by a product. If If you don't like your product, go find something else. There's so much more out there. You're not limited by your zip code either. Nope. You can lead anywhere if you can sell anywhere then you can lead and sell from everywhere so go do that my friends and until next time we'll see you out there thanks tony